Hey y'all, welcome to No Small Thing, the podcast dedicated to helping you live a less certain and more curious life. I'm Mace, one of the co-hosts here at this podcast, here to briefly introduce you to what this episode is going to be all about. Kevin Garcia, who is a spiritual leader and director, this summer has been on tour what they are calling their wonderfully made tour where they're going around and they're going to different cities and they're asking people to come and speak and answer this question of what does it mean to be in wonder we were lucky enough to join kevin on this tour when they came to seattle alongside gabe's Torres and matthias roberts for a night full of wonder so that's what this audio is it is the live audio from this show we so hope that you enjoy this feels so in line with our mission to be less certain and more curious it was such an honor to be on stage alongside matthias kevin and gabe's each one of them gets a full intro before they speak so rather than trying to do this at the top i just want to jump right into the audio we so hope you enjoy this episode Let's just put together a thing and we'll have to talk about a singular question. 
And that question for me is what does it mean to be in wonder? Because it could be about like, you know, a particular faith, because I am not a particular faith any longer. Uh, I'm not a Christian, at least not in the strictest sense of the word. Like, I love Jesus, um, and I think I have a relationship with him in whatever way that you can have a relationship with somebody who died 2,000 years ago. You know what I'm saying? And I, I think Jesus is a really dope human. Um, and in whatever metaphysical way one can have a relationship with Jesus, I believe that I do. And you can take that or leave it. I really don't need you to believe it. But um, it's the thing that compels me to do what I do. Um, and that feels good to say. Um, so this evening, I want you to kind of come to the same kind of space. I want you to be able to say, like, you know, what would it be like for you to put down all of your um, preconceived notions about what you thought your faith could look like or would look like? Um, what would it be look like to, to bring your anger up into the space? What would it be like to bring your uh, your sadness or your grief? You know, what would it be look like also to look beyond those things? To recognize what you is still hurting, to recognize the parts of you that are still needing healing and begin that tonight. Um, I love spaces like this because I will tell you right now, I don't give a shit what you believe in. I do give a shit about how you feel. I don't give a shit if you love Jesus, don't call him friend, brother, you know, I almost said an SOB, but I figured I'm in a church, so like I'll try to tone it down and not call Jesus an SOB. <laughs> but I do, I just want to let you know that I love you. And in this space, um, I want you to feel safe in your own hands. What I mean by that is, I want you to take care of yourself. So if at any point during tonight, as we are giving these talks or like trigger warning, we are going to talk about spiritual things, which means we're probably going to talk about churchy things. We're in a church, did you notice? <laughs> We're gonna talk about churchy things probably, we're gonna talk about Jesus things, God things, spirit things, and notice when your body goes, because when you get there, that's the moment to go, breathe. Breathe into those moments, and at any point, you're like, this is too much for me, you go take a break, get your ass off and go get some water, go to the bathroom, like get up and move around, I don't care, nobody in this space cares, do what you need to do to take care of yourself. Permission granted? Good, yes, you understand? Okay. Um, and the other thing I'll say for tonight is take what is helpful, leave what is not. That's it. Even the things that I say. Anyone up here, we are not like, sure, we've been talking about this shit for a little bit, but our opinion about these things, our understanding of these things is no more or less valuable than yours. So if at the end of the day you hear an idea tonight and it doesn't really jive with you, let it go. Only take what is helpful and let the rest go. Deal? Cool. So to begin, I want to drop us into a little meditation just to chill us out, get our brains right for the evening. You know what I'm saying? So if you wouldn't mind, assume whatever position feels good for you. Um, for me, that feels like both feet on the ground, perhaps, and that if I have a seat back, I just make sure that I'm supported. And then maybe I'll move my neck a little bit, make some circles with my nose. And breathe, breathe into it. And if those breathing sounds is weird for you, just let it go. Check in the body. Check in starting off the very top of your head, move down. Through the brows, through your face, through the back of the neck, through the throat space, let your shoulders drift down, droop down, let the arms grow heavy. And as you come to your chest space, your heart space, take a moment and just focus your breath there. 
Notice the quality of your breath. Does it feel a little shallow? Does it feel sharp or does it feel nice and even and deep? Just notice. Don't think that needs to be anything other than what it is. But as you give your attention, just notice how your breaths become longer. Let that breath move down through your chest space, into your abdomen. Don't try to suck anything in. Breathe deep into that space. Letting your back body relax, your lower back, all the way down into your hips and sits bones. Feel them rooted down into your chair. And then bring that attention, move it all the way down through your thighs, through your knees, through your shins and calves, all the way out through your, your toes your soles and your heels. And notice just in this brief moment of paying attention to the body, telling it to relax, sending breath to those spaces. Notice how the quality of your feeling has changed. Notice if you feel more relaxed or notice if you have any other emotion or feeling come up. Whatever's coming up tonight, Whatever will come up tonight, I want you to remember what we said a moment ago. And maybe you can say this to yourself as well. I'm safe in my own hands. I am not alone. I have come with curious companions to this place. Not to find any answers, but to delve into more questions. And maybe to find some help and practices along the way. I come to a place where I can see me too. A place where I can maybe lay down some grief tonight and pick up some joy. And so friends, I invite you into this space. I want you to see in your mind's eye every person here. And if you want to, you can visualize us just, you know, come above, just, you know, send your eyesight above your head right now and see all of us sitting in this room. See the light coming from each person's heart. Maybe with a big inhale, a deep exhale, send gratitude for every person here. For every story, for everything that came before you today to try to stop you, listen, you have succeeded. Everything that's gonna happen after this, let it go. Everything that was coming up before this, we can put that on hold for just a moment. We bring ourselves into the present moment. We allow our hearts to be open and full. We come with expectation of good things, good words, powerful things that can transform our lives for the better. We know that it is not anything that's said on the stage that will change our lives, but truly the discovery of what is already inside of us. Tonight, we're going to be discoveries. Spirit of love, God of our many understandings, Holy Mother Mystery, I thank you for your presence in my life. I ask that all of our helpful friends, ancestors, spirits, that you would be with us, and 
that no unhelpful voices would cloud our vision of our mind tonight. I welcome my grandmothers. I welcome my father and my uncle. I welcome our sweet sister, Rachel. And if there's anyone else that you want to welcome into this space tonight, you can feel free to speak their names out loud. By Holy One, I mean the one person of you out here listening. You are the Holy One. Holy One, I thank you for coming here tonight. May this be a blessing to you. And so it is, we ask all this in our holy name. As you breathe in, take a second to check in with the body one more time. Where do you need to let go? Maybe you start coming back into your body now with a deep breath in. Maybe as you do that, you wiggle your toes, your hands. Maybe you roll the shoulders, and when you are ready, you take a deep breath in. And gently like open your eyes and return to the space. Mmm, wasn't that nice? <laughs> now, imagine if you did that every day just like five minutes every morning you took yourself just to check in. How would your life be different? And I'm not saying this as like an accusatory thing, I just say this to spark some curiosity because I did not know the power of giving myself time for a long time. I did not give myself adequate space to start the healing process. And I think a lot of what I'm learning in this time is like these things that we're doing here, like coming together, even like visually is great, as we all know, but there is something about coming together that feeds the soul. Um, and I don't know what it is. Some might call it, you know, mirror neurons, some might call it magic. But either way, there is something really, really special that happens when we come together curious and wanting to learn more. Which is a really great segue into the introduction to my first two guests tonight. Um, these two humans I've gotten to know over the past um, year or so, really just over since the course of the pandemic. Um, and we hung out for the first time this weekend, or actually no, earlier this week. And they host Seattle's number one podcast called No Small Thing. Um, and they also host lovely events called um, Less Start More Curious. Um, they work with Below to Rise. Nace is a psychology student heading in that direction of practicum. Scott is the youth pastor of an online digital youth group called Beloved Arise, which is the only LGBTQ youth group made for queer youth of faith in the world. Um, they have over 500 students the world over, and I could keep boasting on them, but I'm sure they'll talk about it. So please, if you would not mind, please give a warm welcome to the first guest of the night, Scott and Nate! <laughs> kind of amped and then I got kind of sleepy because of the meditation. It's so refreshing though because I do feel like in a lot of Christian spaces in particular, which probably many of us are from, it's people are always telling you to question your emotions and turning you in against yourself. 
So to start an event where somebody stands up here like Kevin and says, your emotions are valid, feel your emotions, invite your emotions into the space, that feels so profound. And go hide the bathroom if you want to. We go to that too. <laughs> All the permission. Yeah, it's wonderful. So I, I think we'll just introduce ourselves a little bit. We do host this podcast called No Small Thing. And uh, the tagline is helping people live a less certain and more curious life. And I think it's a response just sort of instinctually to probably being raised in communities that said curiosity wasn't appropriate and questions weren't appropriate and wondering wasn't appropriate. And um, once, well, I'm, I'm older than me, so once I started getting a little older, I was like, I, I can wonder and I can be curious. Uh, so that's sort of our vocation or our mission. And we want, some, one of the things we say is we want uh, to free people from toxic certainty. And, and that's like can be philosophical or a worldview or a faith system or something like that. But just in our daily interactions, like literally, literally last night, Mason and I were talking with some of our friends and we were talking about this idea of being drunk. Like what, what does being drunk mean? And Mason and I disagreed. And as we we're talking, I literally blurted out, you're wrong. And I was like, we are our whole existence. Our whole existence and everything we're doing is trying to stop those types of interactions. Like I approached it with so much certainty. And then what we do typically is we pick a topic, we get a prompt like wonder, and we spend as much time unpacking that as possible with curiosity. So you actually transitioned us into a more of a no small thing vibe last night. You're like, let's get out the definition, let's have a conversation, let's look at these lists, let's look at urban dictionary. It's a scale, everyone has their own <laughs> definition, what you were taught when you were a kid may have changed, and there were seven levels. Seven levels. Yeah. I was trying to really make it a black and white by hearing thing and it wasn't, so. So with that in mind, our podcast is very conversationally based. Our whole thing is you pick a topic and you can wonder about it and be curious about it and you see what unfolds. And so we kind of are approaching that here on stage. We didn't necessarily plan what we want to say, but we have an idea and part of this is this idea of what does it mean to be curious and wonder out loud? And we always hope that our wondering out loud just gives folks permission to wonder out loud themselves. Um, so that's kind of what we're going to be doing for the next few minutes. And we hope that it invites you into some kind of wonder. Seven minutes. Seven and minutes. <laughs> um, we're going to start with actually, both Mace and I work with young people. So Mace works with preschoolers, and we both co-host this online youth group uh, with students from all over the world. It's pretty trippy. And this has been a poem that has really influenced our approach with young people. So we're gonna read it to start, we'll reflect a little bit, and then we'll share it one more time, but it's hopefully our gift to you today. Yes, I first heard this poem uh, because I work, like Scott said, as a preschool teacher, and this poem is like the base of the curriculum I work with. So I work with young kids, and we play, and that is how we learn, which is what we try to do on the podcast, and I think what we're trying to do tonight. Like, if this isn't play, I don't know what is. So, with that in mind, I'm going to read this poem that's called The 100 Languages, and then we'll, we'll talk a bit about it. The 100 Languages. No way. The 100 is there. The child is made of 100. The child has 100 languages, 100 hands, 100 thoughts, 100 ways of thinking, of playing, of speaking. 100, always 100. Ways of listening, of marveling, of loving, a hundred joys for singing and understanding, a hundred worlds to discover, a hundred worlds to invent, a hundred worlds to dream. The child has a hundred languages and a hundred, hundred, hundred more. But they steal 99, 
the school and the, and the culture. Separate the head from the body. They tell the child to think without hands, to do without head, to listen and not to speak, to understand without joy, to love and to marvel. They tell the child to, to discover the world already there, and of the hundred, they steal 99. They tell the child that work and play, reality and fantasy, science and imagination, sky and earth, reason and dream, are things that do not belong together. And thus, they tell the child that the hundred is not there. The child says, no way, the hundred is there. So good. Worthy of us some snaps. Walk away. <laughs> Watch out, walk, mic drop. Um, do you want to share a little bit about how that comes, plays out for you in your work? Yeah, yeah. So I I work with young children, and I will say, I it's interesting being here at a church because it's the first time you get a church in a long while. I was saying in the car on the way. I think the last time I was at a church was being asked to leave. So this is an interesting <laughs> thing to be in a space like this. Yes, a classic. And I went through an interesting phase in faith and life where I was just super cynical as one needs to be, I think. And I fell into working at the school where this is the curriculum, and I this poem was written in the bathroom. And every time I'd go to the bathroom, I'd read it and be like, oh my gosh. And entering into this world and this idea of children having hundreds of languages and myself having hundreds of languages that were maybe stolen from me, really gave me a whole new way in which to participate and wonder with myself, with others, and then with the universe or this cosmic force or whatever you want to call the higher being. Um, so I, I, I don't want to share too many anecdotes, but I have one, one of my favorite anecdotes that was just a day, it was actually two days, that working with children and having this attitude of entering into this world and entering into their world of wonder really gave me a chance to enter into my own world. So I was out at this playground and there was a bird that was dying and it was on this fence and this one kid came over and found it and comes up to me and says, this bird is dying, freaking out. And I was like, okay, let's go take a look. And a few kids gathered around and they sat there, didn't know what to do, right? We can't touch the bird. It's obviously not able to move. We're wondering what we can do. And as kids gathered, about 30 are on this playground and 10 to 15 of them are all now surrounding this bird. A group of them have taken up protection. A group of them are wondering what they can do, leaving, making little nests, hoping this bird will, will come to that nest. And it was, we had to eventually go in. You know, it's like, guys, time to pick up, gotta go inside, and some of those kids, it was like, I'm so sorry to do this, but we do have to walk away from this bird right now. Like, we can hope it's gonna be there tomorrow. Me and my adult brain was like, it's not, I'm so sorry. So, I go back out the next morning, it's like we're going to the playground, and these kids are like, <sighs> like a bunch of them are running right to it, and I'm like, ready for what's gonna be there. And the bird has died overnight. And look to the kids and we say, what do we do now? And a group of them, we need to do a funeral, we need to name the bird, we need to figure out what to do. And all the kids that day named the bird, created a plaque, buried the bird, wrapped it in burlap, said words to the bird, 
And all week, or the whole rest of the week, kids would go up to the bird, talk to the bird, walk away. And it was this profound experience where I would have said, oh, a sad bird there, like there's nothing I can do. And these kids invited me to pause, invited me to slow down and to really experience this. And it was honestly through this that a bunch of kids actually talked about different griefs that were coming up in their own lives. A kid in one of the classrooms had lost a parent previously that year. And we were able to talk about that now because we had this bird to reference, Birdie, um, really creative name. And, and it's, it, it brought me into this, that was just one story, but it, it kind of, brought me into kind of a new way of honestly wandering around nature and world and my relationship with animals. And I now have buried a lot of birds in my own personal life because they brought me into that. And I don't ever want to take children and be like, children have all the answers, because I think that kind of tokenizes children in a way. But I do think that when we pause and are invited into this you know, they don't even know what a funeral is necessarily, and they created their own. They didn't have expectations of what it needed to be, and they found a way to make it what they wanted it to be. Um, and it's just, that's just one story, but I think if we slow down and pause, and even then wonder about our own childhood self, what would my young self have done without having these preconceived languages, these preconceived ideas of what, what I'm supposed to do? I've been taught to just move on. That's, that's not for me. And it's invited me to slow down. Well, one thing that's so cool is that that's just one story that I think we were all fairly immersed in. And being friends with you, you come home with a story almost every day. That's true. You know, and it's just like we're in total wonder of these kids, and it's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, one of the things you and I often say is that youth are prophets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's Scott's big line. So do you want to explain? Our line. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll just tell, talk a little bit about this youth group. So uh, we call it Rebel, and to a certain extent, what I love is that we're sort of reversing a lot of these things that we were talking about earlier. Like we're reversing this idea, you know, a church space can't isn't appropriate to share emotions. So no, it's actually a place where we share all of our emotions and that's great. And um, you know, traditional youth ministry probably, if any of you have ever attended a youth group, it's typically this top-down approach where the youth pastor seems to have some answers and they're trying to teach it to you and there's a lot of anxiety and stress around helping you to get the point. And so we call the youth group rebel because I'm trying to convince these students and they approach me with a fair amount of skepticism. That the whole point is actually for you to question us as much as possible, and we actually celebrate it when you disagree with us. We celebrate you doubting and wrestling with your faith. And actually, um, one of the phrases we use from a guy that we love following, named Sean Crawley, is otherwise possibilities. So that sort of bursts down this like stuck place that people get into, especially Christians, about like if you're going to be affirming or not. It's like, this isn't about these like classic deadlocks of this theological doctrines or conundrums. We're now, we're the humans here. We're the humans creating the communities. And so it's not people from Bible times or early church leaders or something like that. It's us now, and we are feeling compelled to be more inclusive and more yes. loving. And we, we are feeling that we have the capacity and possible possibility to imagine better communities and better spaces. And what I love about that is, is that we're not just creating it, but once you invite people to imagine with you, that they're gonna think of things that you never think of. Um, so we did imagine an affirming youth group, and it became an online affirming youth group. And, and then it wasn't just affirming, but it was the space where we invite um, students to wonder and dream with us about God, whatever, however that looks. 
Um, I don't want to put him on the spot, but like Eli is one of our students right over here. And that's somebody we just met for the first time like two days ago. We've known Eli online for over a year. It's, it's, so that's that's something you got to wonder and celebrate about. Um, but uh, it's just it's just so fun. It's so fun to be in a space that like we're sort of in charge of now, and we're not like I we have been in churches. You met you alluded to this earlier, where the whole project is trying to get people to believe in this certain set of doctrines, and we're not doing that anymore. So you have this impulse to think it, it might be healthy if you're not treating kids that way, yeah. and it's like so nice to have that confirmed. Uh, yeah, and I think I think going off that like. This poem brings up this idea of they steal the languages. They, the churches or wherever culture or schools, they, they take that away and they tell you there's only one way to experience God or there's one way to experience yourself. There's one way to experience wonder. And our philosophy is we're not going to tell you what to think. We're going to provide an encounter with God, maybe, and you're going to get what you get. And that's that's all we can offer because it's, it's your own language. It's your own way that you're going to communicate with yourself with God, whether that's, I mean, I have my art out there and it's string on a canvas. And to me, it is prayer. And that's, that's how I'm entering that. And there's so many voices saying, this isn't what art is. This isn't what it's supposed to be. And then I think that's them stealing the voice because I know that I'm saying something with this string. I know that this is, I know that this is, this is my language. This is me communicating something and hearing something back. So don't let them steal it. Don't let them steal it. And we had um, when you create a space where kids feel comfortable, um, we hear awesome, amazing, profound theological reflections from our students every week. One one of my more one of the funnier ones recently. Funnier is not a word, but that's okay. Um, we had a student only 15, and they're very comfortable. And I was trying to give a talk that sounded similar to this about like the basics of this youth group and trying to remind the students that they can trust that we actually do want them to question and disagree. And I kept saying, we have no agenda, we have no agenda. Like, our agenda is just to love you as you are. That's no agenda, no agenda. And the student interrupted and goes, Scott, but we do have an agenda. And I was like, oh, what, what is it? And they're like, the queer agenda. <laughs> and then they go, you know, be gay, do crime. And like, oh, cool, okay, I guess. Yes, and everybody's like, that's our agenda. <laughs> that's the agenda. Um, but no, it's so it's just so lovely to be in a space where you know young people can feel free to be themselves. Um, so ultimately, it's about listening, whether you're in youth ministry or just being people together, like listening to each other, making space for each other, listening to yourself, listening to your emotions, being curious, um, being in wonder. You want to say anything before we read the poem one more time? We're going to read the poem one more time as like our little benediction. And I invite you to, when you hear the child, to allow that to be yourself and hear these words for yourself. The child is made of 100. The child has 100 languages, 100 hands, 100 thoughts, 100 ways of thinking, of playing, of speaking. 100. Always 100. Ways of listening, of marveling, of loving, a hundred joys for singing and understanding, a hundred worlds to discover, a hundred worlds to invent, a hundred worlds to dream. The child has a hundred languages, and a hundred, hundred, hundred more. But they steal ninety-nine. The school and the culture separate the head from the body. They tell the child to think without hands, to do without head, to listen and not to speak to understand without joy, 
to love and to marvel only at Easter and Christmas. They tell the child to discover the world already there, and of the hundred, they steal 99. They tell the child that work and play, reality and fantasy, science and imagination, sky and earth, reason and dreams, are things that do not belong together. And thus they tell the child that the hundred is not there. The child says, no way, the hundred is there. My pronouns are she, her, they, them. Either both are fine, as Kevin said. Which, by the way, thank you, Kevin, for inviting me tonight. And thank you for saying yes to this event. Um, I am a therapist here and also a grassroots organizer and a singer-songwriter here on So Called Seattle. And I was going to say something else. I forgot. Look at that. I shouldn't be drinking before starting this. <laughs> Excitement 
in the, the space of intimacy and vulnerability, right? But I can't really not say, and I, I can't talk about, I can't not talk about wonder without talking about sex and eroticism and any of that sort. So I just wanted to like insert that really quick for the sake of my younger self. Um, but one of the things that um, do come to mind though, when I think about what it's like to be in a place of wonder, is that a few years ago, I actually produced an album called Wonder. It's a mustard yellow cover with a hot air balloon in the center. <laughs> like a hysterical, you know, woman would do. Um, and with a song called Wonder. Is it okay that I sing this to y'all? Um, it's a love song, duh. And I also want to say really quick that um, this is most likely going to be my last in-person speaking engagement here on Turtle Island because I aim to leave in a month. I don't know when I'll be coming back, but a lot of it has to do with the system that exists right now that is anti-immigrant. So y'all are witnessing, yeah, y'all are very witness to a mix of endings and beginnings. So again, thank you for saying yes to coming here. And here is Wonder. I'll sing pre-chorus and chorus. Um, it goes. You get me on my feet on a reverie I haven't reached since the day I met a living wonder. I'm dazed and amazed. Welcome to the storyline of lights and skylights, aesthetics, lots of books and lots of kids. Join the fun, my living wonder. what is it like for me to be in a place of wonder is to have an expansive willingness and capacity to believe that there could be more. Did I say that again? To be in a place of wonder is to have an expansive capacity and willingness to believe that there could be more. That there could be more possibilities beyond what is perceivable, what is presented, and what is socially taught, and what is socially learned or known. And I want to actually like pay homage to, give credit to my friends who are Native Hawaiians and Indigenous folks um, who taught me this and have uh, held conversations with me about the complexities around this state of wonder, that it can be used for both good and also worse. And as a femme of color, as a colonized subject, I have known wonder to be the thing that compelled colonizers to do their exploits and to exploit. You know? You hear me? And colonizers wondered if there could be more. If there could be more than their lands, their resources, or if there could be more than their potatoes and their bland food. Yes. And, <laughs> and so that compelled them enough to see and to explore um, if there are lands and resources and peoples to
to conquer, to exploit, to steal from, and to violate for their own profit and their own glory. I'm gonna read a lot from my notes because I don't want to miss anything. It's like my anger. And if a sense of wonder is coupled with or is navigated from a place where there's an abuse of power, where there's narcissism, where uh, there's a violation of boundaries of nature and of humanity, then that sense of wonder could lead to invasion, to dehumanization, yes. to colonization, okay? And I feel like I'm doing myself, my people, my BIPOC friends, my ancestors a disservice if I don't recognize the, or if I don't nuance the phenomena of wonder. Yes. And that it has been used for both good and it has also been used for worse. And with that, I also believe and have also witnessed that there have been times, many times, when love, when interdependence, where beauty and where consent are at the center of wonder. I see it in how those of us who have one or more marginalized identities have wondered what if there is more to this world than oppressive and colonized systems that hold me hostage or that inflict suffering upon me and my people? What if there is a world beyond the binary? What if there's a world where I can love whoever I want to love, who I, or I can love how many people I want to love? Yes. A world where there is a God spirits or divine who rejoices and celebrates in that love. A world without prisons, without policing, yes. without cops, without carceral logic. A world where there is, where there are no more U.S. funded global wars and hyper militarization. What if there is a world without white cis hetero patriarchy? What if there's a world beyond survival from centuries and generations of collective trauma and racialized violence? Yes, yes. A world where I am no longer defined by my trauma, yes. along with the patterns of survival that emerge or that are based on that trauma. What if there could be more? What if there could be more than what oppression has always convinced us to believe that this is all there is? What if there could be more? And as an organizer, I've known that in order to strategize and to mobilize towards a world of liberation, we always start with imagination. We always start with vision and ask ourselves the question, what does equity look like? What, does what do reparations look like? What does wellness look like? What does spirituality or belonging without abusive and oppressive structures, what does this world look like? And I also don't mean to, to romanticize these processes either um, because this process is gonna be messy as hell. It's gonna be painful as hell and it's gonna be scary as hell because 
we are heading towards a direction that is unfamiliar, and newsflash, oppression has always been familiar. Oppression has always been normalized. And so, also wanted to check in. How's your breath? Yes, yes. I noticed my breath too. This is like, a lot, for a lot of y'all in different degrees, this is like our lived experience, right? So, check in with your body, your beautiful body. Yep. So it's gonna be a lot of work, y'all. It's gonna take some tenacity and tenderness to move towards a world that could be. And the powerful thing about having a vision of a world that could be is that vision keeps us going. You can call it hope, you can call it our collective dream, you can call it resilience, although I, that, I'm, I'm not sure about the word resilience these days because I don't want to be resilient anymore. <laughs> I just want to live, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, get it, I'll get it. You can call it resistance. Um, and there's something about that vision that makes it all worth it. It makes it all worth it for us. It makes it all worth it to our descendants, biological or otherwise, biological or spiritual, and the generations after us. And I am constantly, constantly amazed that even though the oppressed, the marginalized, especially black, brown, and indigenous folks and ancestors in different degrees have every reason not to hope anymore, not to dream anymore, it just amazes me that even with all of the violence that has happened to them and to us, depending on our different degrees of proximity to oppression, we still choose life. Hello. We still choose freedom. And their freedom, our freedom, and that of our descendants. And to reflect on that choice to choose freedom and to choose life is a wonder to me. And I am in awe. I'm also in awe that y'all are here. I'm in awe that, that you being here just shows and reflects that you believe that there is also, that there could be more. There's more to community and more to faith. And even though, and I don't know, I don't know which faith contexts you all come from. I don't know what you went through, what you endured, and the many relationships that have abandoned or betrayed or shamed you and hurt you, you're still here. You, know? you still allow yourself to be intrigued enough, intrigued enough to know what it's like to belong again, to be curious about transcendence again, about the divine again. And that's, that's what makes you a living wonder to me. And even in all the scars and all the wounds and all the age, here you still are believing that there could be more. And here you still are a living wonder. That's all.
hear my voice come in the lobby, come back on in, grab a seat. Check the live stream, make sure it's still going. We're doing good. Okay. So, how do we feel right now? Can you answer out loud? Good. Wonderful. Good and wonderful. Is that it? Any other feelings? A little sleepy. Yes, I will admit, this is kind of, I'm not saying it's a snoozy event, it's just like really, really deep in my body, like in my process, a lot of emotions, and I'm exhausted. Um, which is totally normal. Um, also, I love that y'all uh, are more, you're the most responsive group I've had so far because I've had to tell other people who's like, listen, I come from a Baptist background. And so, we, come on now, hello. Come on, somebody. Listen, we love to know when the preacher's doing good, otherwise, how the hell are they gonna know what they're doing? Uh, it was really, I went to a Presbyterian seminary, let me tell you what, preaching at a Presbyterian seminary is something else. Not only are their hymns so boring, if you're a Presbyterian in the house, I'm really sorry. You're a hymnal. Even, even the African American hymnal, like it's, I will go with that one always over the white one. Um, so I'm gonna I'm wrapping up the evening because this is my event, so I'm talking last. So I do. Um, and I like to think of my talks. Uh, I, I, I'm really amazed at myself because I actually have a manuscript. And typically, again, coming from Baptist land, we are extemporaneous to the nth degree. And I can do that. I can sit up here and I can, you know, just talk about whatever. And it might be amazing. But I, what I will say is that something that this casting season of life has shown me what a little bit of preparation can do um, for something like this. So I'm really, really glad to be trying out, trying out, trying out my stuff on you, my material on you. Um, <laughs> But this is essentially what like, this entire tour was, was I wanted to get out there and just try something. I wanted to get in the same space with people to see what we could create together on the same night. Um, and also to share about my journey a little bit and like my faith journey and like, where it is now. So, I wanna to talk to you about one of my favorite theologians real quick, since Willie J. Jennings, black liberation theologian, yeah. tells the story of when he was younger. And when he's younger, um, he and his mom are out in the fields working out there, and these two uh, Methodist, uh, I think they were Methodist? They're Presbyterians, we don't know. But they were white. Two white male, two white male pastors comes up to uh, him and his mom, and they invite him to church, and Willie J. Jennings, Mrs. Jennings, I suppose, I assume, says, um, well, A, we're already members of a congregation, the Baptist congregation of the road, and I'm also one of the pastors there. And, Willie goes on to uh, reflect that in the minds of these two pastors, it didn't even enter into their mind, the idea did not exist that these two black people, these two black bodies, could be a part of the family of God already. That not only could these two black people be a part of the family of God, but also that they were also, uh, they knew God intimately. In fact, they even served this God. It didn't even enter it. And so he goes on to describe this thing called a diseased social imagination. Diseased because uh, it's not working. It feels very uncomfortable. Um, and this is how, um, this is a little bit of his definition, a little bit of my definition. Uh, a collective condition in which the societal imagination has atrophied for lack of use because of, of, because of a hegemonic projection of oppressive normativity. So another way, 
We can't imagine anything outside of the bullshit that we've been handed because it's been hurting so bad. You know what I'm saying? And so I think this manifests itself in two ways. One, in the bodies of privileged people, um, where it's just like they cannot imagine that what they're doing is harming anything. Jeff Bezos is up there going 11 minutes, he's like space cowboy, and he's thinking, thank you guys for paying for this. Oh my God, I'm so lucky. And not seeing the irony in it at all. That man was serious. Did you see that? <laughs> it was wild. You know, they think that the change in society will be their downfall, but in reality, their salvation lies in the creation of a new system or systems that are gonna, that are gonna work for the survival of, I don't know, the whole planet. You know, and, but this is what white supremacy and and Western Christianity, this is what empire and colonialism has done to the majority of us. The second way I think a diseased social imagination manifests itself is in the bodies of oppressed people. Um, and again, depending on which intersections and how many intersections you embody, your uh, you know we we just don't seem to quite fit the mythical norm that we've been taught, and that's an idea from Miss Audrey Lord. The mythical norm is anything that is white, cisgender, heterosexual, able-bodied, affluent. And how many of us fit into that category perfectly? And I'm gonna tell you what, even white, cis, heterosexual, able-bodied men, if they don't hold that up, then they don't fit into the system either. Yeah. It's not designed to keep people in it, it's designed to keep itself afloat. But that doesn't stop us from trying to fit ourselves into this framework made by humans and not divine hands. And we strain, we strive, and we keep failing over and over and over again, and we wonder, why am I, I must be the problem because God is perfect and I'm the one who's up all the time. <laughs> We're falling short of this mythical goalpost, we feel shitty about it, and then we end up with mental health issues, and they, these issues manifest themselves in bodily issues, in physical ailments, in sexual dysfunction, inability to trust people. Um, and what's weird is like, for many of us, like Matthias said earlier, just like many of us have already left those spaces, and yet, we can't stop thinking about it. You know, we can't stop getting triggered by it. That thing that we don't want to look at anymore. We've had to fight for our lives. We've had to be on guard. Because we've had to make a way out of no way, like more times than we can count, we've just been the sole survivor, the sole breadwinner. You know, with that depression and anxiety, and like, you know, all of this shit, that, my friends, that's why it's hard. That's why it's hard to have faith like a mustard seed. That's why it's hard to have hope. That's why it's hard to wonder. That's why it's hard to have the imagination get out of its diseased patterns because we don't know how to imagine something better yet. And that's why, um, that's why I think we need to start there. It makes sense that you feel bad sometimes. Or it makes shit, it, it makes sense that you feel like shit more often than your friends do sometimes because maybe you've been through a lot of shit. Anybody know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. You know, we are people for, you know, if you were, at least if you're friends with me, you're probably carrying some kind of trauma in your body because that's how it would see. Amen. Uh, yeah. Everyone's just like, oh, not me. I'm, you know. <laughs> I've got my, all my psychologists on friends in the front where they're just like, yes, that's correct. <laughs> you met somebody with trauma. Did you look in the mirror today? <laughs> but I think that, um, at least for me, I, the, that trauma kind of like resulted in an inability to, to trust again because I was afraid of being betrayed. You know, uh, and I think a lot of us go that way. Like we're afraid that if we're not, again, we're programmed. If we don't say the right thing, are not the right kind of person, if we're not the right, correct brand of progressive all the time, 
that will get kicked out. You know, we have the club. So we have to be on guard all the time. And so then, you know, not to you know, bring up Jesus and Brene Brown again. Um, <laughs> but she talks about, like, she's right about that vulnerability shit. So close off our hearts. Uh, and instead of running towards the vulnerability, instead of running towards people to love us and love our wounds that need to be tended, we've learned that there is nowhere to come. Nowhere to hide. No help for us. And we are convinced, though, uh, that suffering is what we're supposed to be doing. Like, we're convinced that suffering is our entire thing here. Life is suffering. <laughs> and we hide it. Because, again, we fear betrayal. We don't let other people's in. And so the issue of closing our hearts is not so much because, for sometimes, many of us do this because we need to protect ourselves. The problem is, when you stop the flow of love in one direction, you usually stop it in the other. When, you, when love is not flowing in both directions, uh, it breeds codependency, it, cre it, cre it breeds hurt, it breeds uh, inequitable relationships. So Ram Dass asked the question among his talks, he said, how do you keep your heart open in hell? Which is kind of what we're going through these days, right? And I would say, I keep, we should keep our hearts open in hell until it transforms the space into heaven. Which sounds kind of appealing, right? And also, like, super simple, right? <laughs> and I would say that, in fact, it is quite simple. I would say that there is a new way of doing life, a new way of thinking, a new way of that, we've, that we can employ that is actually not difficult at all. It's just different. And it's our aversion to that, our egos telling us that difficult things are, you can't do difficult things, you're not, you've never done it before. What if you fail? What if you feel bad again? You better not do it at all. And it's that aversion keeps us stuck in our traumatized patterns and our traumatized states of inaction rather than moving to some kind of inspired action based in conscious choice. My friend Carl Marx once, not Carl Marx, Carl Young. Oh, Carl Marx. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Unfriend Socialist of America. This is Jermaine. He's probably due to the door. Comrades, excuse me. Carl Young, he said, um, Carl Young, also psychologist. You know, now we go think for psychologists, apparently. Uh, but he said that um, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will rule you and you will call it fate. Oh, yeah. Somebody got ministered to just then. <laughs> until you make the unconscious conscious, it's going to rule you and you're going to call it fate. How many of us have things that it just seems like the same shit happens over and over and over again? Even after I left that abusive space, I still somehow seem to be attracting or these people show up in my life. Again, the problem is not that they showed up in your life. The problem is that you didn't set a boundary with them. Yeah. Come on, somebody. Yeah. But we keep closed up, right? Why do we keep closed up? Because fear. Shocking, right? You ever heard of it? But my question is, what are we afraid of now? Because at first, like, let me say this. When I look back over my own experience, it took me a long time to accept what my body and my inner self inherently knew about myself for the capital S. You know, I was, my body self, I'll say like my body self, my body intelligence was convinced by a lie that God would punish me if I didn't do it right, if I didn't do this body thing right, that if I did a wrong behavior, that God was going to be pissed at me. Um, and you know, I got over that for the most part, you know, God's not going to hurt me, God loves me, God is the universe, blah, blah, blah. But what about other people? You know, different story. Other people cannot be trusted, especially after I got kicked out of the last group. 
you know, that last group who called me family, my actual family who called me family who didn't show up for me when I needed them. You know, and that fear kept me from being myself for a long time. It kept me from actually sharing the questions I had because I was afraid that something was going to take me just outside the hair of like Orthodox Christianity and I would feel that sting of rejection again. And it kept me silent. Like, silent on really some like pretty important questions like, uh, what's the point of the Sunday morning service? Yeah, come on. You know, and if you're in the South, you know, why is weed such a bad thing? Yeah. I know if you're in the, the, the Pacific Northwest, y'all are just like, all of you are high, probably. <laughs> I mean, I am too, so. I don't really know, and what about like all the sex that I'm having now? Why should I feel bad about that? You know, or about things like Derek Rice and crystals. Mm -hmm. Slippery slope. <laughs> I was, I was once really, really afraid that if I asked these questions, if I deviated any further from this version of Christianity, I would be left with nothing. And for real, like, the question was, I was like, yeah, I was left with nothing. Think about it. A lot of us were left with nothing when we leave those spaces. Like, we learn that that, all of it, belongs to them. I chose to leave it behind. I can't have music, I can't talk to God anymore, prayer feels really, really weird and contrived, and who the hell was I talking to anyways? You know? And then again, like, you know, I get to this next phase of, like, my deconstruction or whatever, where, like, I begin to progress beyond Christianity, and it's like, well, I could lose more of my friends than I thought. Well, you already did. You've already lost plenty of people. So it's a few more. What if my family doesn't approve of the fact that I'm reading tarot cards now? Well, they don't approve of you sucking dick either, so like, what's the <laughs> You know, if I got honest about like what I believed, am I not actually going to have to leave my church? I get really, really honest. Fact is, I really didn't even want to go anymore. So why am I, why am I doing this? What am I afraid of? What are we afraid of? I think that while many of us intellectually get the idea that God is good, whatever that means, God is love, you know, in our heads we understand that, and God is not an abuser. Uh, our bodies, I am not sure, no, quite yet. I think our bodies have spent a long time in these non-affirming, you know, not speaking for myself, my body spent a long time in a non-affirming space, learning behavioral patterns, learning survival skills, and learning that this was all there is, and I cannot deviate from this, otherwise I would die. And I think in some ways, our bodies collectively feel the same way. Because perhaps they believe that God is somewhere out there, that love is out there and love is fickle. Love comes and goes. Love wounds, actually. Love takes and gaslights. And maybe our bodies have not learned that they are, in fact, temples of the Spirit. Come on, somebody. Our bodies have not learned that they are actually manifestations of the divine, expressions of the creative force that started the whole fucking universe. And therefore, we have to realize that they're just acting exactly as they were programmed to. That's not our fault. Yeah. I'm going to say that again. The way that your body's trauma responses in whatever way, that is not your fault. It is, however, our responsibility to do the healing work for our own bodies, because only you can do that. Yeah. You know? That's one of the sad things about this. I wish that somebody, I wish I had a Jesus, you know, I wish I had a Jesus to come through and just be like, Jesus, my mental health is shitty. He's like, boom, and I'm like, yeah. 
Yeah, that's how evangelicals paint and they want you to think that that's what Jesus is, but like really it's like, yeah, what happens when it gets sad again? I just keep dancing to this really bad worship pop song. All right. Yes. Just me? No? Okay. So this fear that we have in our bodies, it's because that we were taught and believed for a long time that the God of the, God of the universe um, is so concerned about what kinds of pleasure you have with your body that he, and yes, it's a he, you know, probably a white man too. Um, he's so concerned with you, what you're doing with your body that he killed his son and uh, to show you that he loves you. And it's like, you know, and if you're not totally cool with this, like, macabre gift, you know, uh, if you're not cool with it, God's going to send you to a gay like a fire. And not just your body, but like your whole soul. And that sucks, so. But that's what we learned. I mean, like, I know that sounds like we're laughing at it now, but just like, think about back in the day, like, when you actually believed that. I was terrified. I was scared that any gay thought that would enter my brain, like, you know, looking at Robbie Lovickston in our foundation class, any thought would send me to the virus in any moment. God, Robbie, it's still in my mind, it's the hottest person I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, real quick, you remember the first person that you were attracted to? If you're allosexual in the room, if you're asexual, it might be a different experience. Uh, but in, to, I don't know, this is just pull the audience. Are they still the hottest person in your mind? No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we're trying to Now, here's the deal. We have a lot of... You know, I know that like I love to like joke through painful things because that's my coping mechanism, um, and that's a lot of us. And I think to a degree, like we have to have a little bit of joy about it. Yeah. Yes, like healing work, unpacking the stuff, deconstruction. It can be very painful, you know, to lose things, to lose the God of your childhood, the, the communities that we come from. It can be very painful, and I'm also here to tell you that the thing on the other side of it is so much sweeter than you could possibly yeah. imagine. And that's what I'm here for. I think it's actually possible to feel good right now, regardless of what's happening in the world. Regardless of what has happened, what will happen. There is a power, this is where I'm going to read from this, because I feel very good about these things. There is a power and spirit in you that is so great, that is so powerful and so bright, that if you would, for a moment, turn your eyes inward towards that, you would be able to see your next step so much clearer. Deep within you, there is everything that is perfect ready to radiate through you and out into this world. And it will cure all sorrow and all pain and all fear and loss. Because it will heal the mind that thought these things were real and suffered out of allegiance to them. You can never be deprived of your perfect holiness because its source goes with you wherever you go. You can never be alone because the source of all life goes with you wherever you go. Nothing can destroy your peace of mind because love itself goes with you wherever you go. I talked to someone recently who said, I can't imagine letting God back into my life. And I asked why, and they said, I, I can't trust God. I was like, what happens if I open myself up to this thing and God doesn't show up in the way that I want to, the way that God was supposed to show up when I prayed that prayer? What happens when God doesn't show up? And uh, what if God actually abandons me again? Beloved, I want to I want to tell you that um, you might not be in a relationship with the God of the universe. You might be in a relationship with an asshole, um, and you might not even be uh, in a relationship. You might just be mad at that God, like I was for a long time, 
until I realized what I was mad at was an idea, not even an actual thing. And that's when it gets really frustrating. Because I realized I was mad at this insane conception created by white supremacist capitalist patriarchy and it fooled me into thinking it was an actual God, but in fact it was just a projection of humanity's fearful assumption that just because we evolved in a violent world that we could not transcend it. And can I tell you what I realized also as I was going through this journey? As I was like going through this constant cycle of feeling good and feeling bad, it's just like the reason I couldn't let go of the church, of the label of Christian for so long, of like, I wanted to be right. I wanted to be right and I felt foolish that I spent so much time invested my life into this thing. I felt foolish and ashamed, and I was made to do a lot of stuff I didn't want to do. And I had to hide myself for so long, and I hurt so bad, and I broke my body. I pushed away love and connection. I pushed away sex. I pushed away what it like to, like, I, I didn't even let myself think about what it could be like to be held by another man. I didn't let myself think about what it would be like to wear a dress on my wedding day instead of a tuxedo. I didn't even imagine what it would like to be happy. Because the thing that made me happy was so disgusting to God, apparently. And like, like I said earlier, I believe suffering was my glory. And if I make everything in my life, my body, everything obedient to death and die because I was worth more in the absence of my sin than I ever could be as this like struggling faggot for Jesus, you know? I was so mad at God because I did it right. I stayed in line, I told the line, I held the line. I wasn't just a good Christian, I was the best. It had to mean something. I cannot walk away with this thing with nothing to show for it, because that's what my family's saying. That's what they're all gonna say. What do you have to show for yourself? And guess what, in a capitalist patriarchal system that shames us into thinking that possession and property and power make you important, then yes, I've got nothing to show for it. I lost it all. And let me tell you about what happened after that. I moved into a shitty ass basement apartment with $300 in my account with that hair on the front row. And let me tell you what, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because I was finally at a point in my life where it was just like, okay, I'm done lying. I'm, I don't have any, I literally have nothing left to lose. And I remember having this conversation with my mom. I was like, Mom, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And she said, well, doesn't that mean that you could do anything? Like, my mom is a saint sometimes. <laughs> She's a real good theologian, too, but I don't, I mean, she won't tell you that. And um, earlier tonight, Matthias talked about uh, why, like, you know, again, it's hard to hope. And like, we've gone through all the, I just went through all my reasons why it's hard to hope. And I want to tell you that, again, it doesn't have to be this way forever. And also, the bad feeling you're having, the hard feeling, the hard season, it's not going to last forever either. And that's also true of really good things, too. It's not going to last forever. And that, in some way, is kind of comforting, because I can come right back here to now. You know, I want to open myself up to this thing. So what happened after that? Fast forward. Um, as many good stories, it starts off with, um, I took two tabs of acid, and... <laughs> um, and, I, and I say this as, you know, someone who is a proponent of many of these things, and we can get into that later if you want to. Um, 
But what I experienced that night was this divine union with whatever is out there. I just knew and understood that I was one with it. I touched it, but also it was the same feeling I had when I was nine years old when I accepted Jesus into my heart. And I said, I believe that Jesus is the craft and the living God, my personal savior. It was the same feeling, which was really, really strange. I'm just like, ah, so I really have known Jesus this whole time. This weird metaphysical presence that may or may not be an idea in my head that I'm making up. But either way, it's a pretty effective idea. And this idea began to counteract all of the ideas that I had about myself before. And there comes a, per there comes a moment in every person's journey for all of us in our healing state, where we have to realize that we could either, um, I'm, I'm okay, let me put it this way. I'm a spiritual coach, and so that means I'm a little bit more blunt with my words. I'm not a therapist, because sometimes I'm like, I'm like Matthias. Matthias cannot say this to his clients. He cannot say, what's wrong with you? It's right there. I did not say that to my clients, by the way. <laughs> but I get in the same place where I want to be like, it's, it's right there. Just try this thing, just try it again, try it again. Um, that's what I do as a coach, is like I help people create these spiritual practices that get us from one thing to the other. Because how do we change the beliefs that we have, this core stuff? Like I said, experiences that give us new perspectives. And what was the other thing? New thoughts? I can't remember what she said. I'm like, I was most of this thing, sorry. <laughs> but it does take work. And by work, I mean it takes a little bit of intention. Um, something that my friends in recovery say uh, is, are you willing to take 1% responsibility for your sobriety? And I would like to say to ask the same thing of you, are you willing to take at least 1% of the responsibility for your experience now if you are aware that you have the power to change it? Mm. Just 1%, not even a whole lot, just a little bit of willingness, a little bit of faith. Come on, somebody, you see these connecting lines? Come on. So, um, what happened for me is, when I was in seminary, um, A, I discovered I was a witch. That was crazy. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting out there under the full moon in Scorpio, you know, looking up at my campus, you know, with my cards, crystals, my J on my leg, and I'm like, oh fuck, I'm a witch. <laughs> and I look around to make sure that no one else heard me. It's, it's 11.30 at night, no one's on my campus. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm a witch. Because who, who does, I'm doing witchcraft. Wait. We just do witchcraft. That means. <laughs> and it freaked me out so much. And then I went to my chapel on campus and confessed that I didn't know if I was a Christian anymore. And especially because I was supposed to preach in chapel on Friday. And she said, maybe you're both. And it never entered my mind the possibility that I could love Jesus and read tarot. Practically, I mean, like, I was already doing it, but just, like, it felt very, it didn't feel integrated yet, because I was afraid. I was afraid that I would go too far, that I would go too far, like, you know, spirit leading where my trust is without orders, but, like, don't go too far, you know what I'm saying? I was afraid that there was a border to God somewhere, you know? I was afraid that I was eventually going to step off, but what I found was every single time that I thought I was going to be left alone, I was met Every single experience that I thought that I was going to be met with pain, I was given a gift instead. And it all came from giving it time and intention. So I want to now. Oh, 
I'm going to do this. And then we'll get into this next thing I want to do. Course in Miracles says that you think that you've got many problems, but you actually only have one, that you think you're separate from God. And if you can get, this is a core belief, right? You think you're separate from God, and like, because of that separateness in your mind, we do all sorts of wild shit, and that might seem like a very over, like, overly generalization. And I'll get it, yeah, that is a generalization. But just try it on for me. Try it on like a jacket, see if it feels good on you. And if it doesn't, you can throw it away later. Or give it, uh, recycle it, sell it to someone else. Yeah. But this, I think, might be the only belief that matters, at least it's the only belief that matters to me now, is that if you can understand with your whole person, your whole body, that you are not separate from love, but that you are in fact thought in the mind of God, and, then you, and that this thought, you never left your source, if you can even catch a glimpse that you are not sinful, but you are in fact holy beyond measure, and that your holiness blesses the whole world, and that there is nothing your holiness cannot do, if you could find even a moment, even a mustard seed of belief in that moment, you would become indescribably happy. And so how do we do that? You know, how do we switch up a lifetime of patterns in our thoughts? Um, first of all, it's not a quick switch, like we said before. It's a practice. And I also want to say this. I've had an amazing, like, I know for some of us, we look at other people's progress and we look at ourselves and it's just like, why does, why does Kevin feel so good all the time? Well, it's honestly because, if I'm being honest, I've had a shit ton of resources. Um, I was socialized to be a white male. Um, I've had a family who has uh, helped me pay for my education in my early days. Um, I've had access to therapy. Uh, I've had access to medication. I've had access to a queer community. In the past six years since I have come out, I have been in like a pressure cooker of getting the stuff done because I got to a point in my journey where I told God, I don't give a shit what it's gonna take, if I need you to do it now. I'm tired of learning these things. I wanna do it now. And I think that if you are willing to say that to spirit, spirit might show up. And I'm thinking like, I mean, if that's not what you want, at least the thing I want is like, I need better. I need better than what I have right now because what's doing is not helpful. These thoughts are ruling my life. These thoughts are ruining my experience. And so I, the, the thing that, the only thing that sets me apart from anybody else, and really from nobody else, is just practice. I practice these beliefs. I spend time with my body and my thoughts, and I introduce thoughts of peace, and I speak kindly to myself. I luxuriate myself with love and compassion. I am my own best lover in every sense of the word. Come on, somebody. I am the parent that I needed. And when I am not enough, I reach out to my friends who have it for me. My friends, there is no universal theology. It's impossible. But there is such a thing as a universal experience, and that's not only possible, it's necessary. And I think we've all had a universal experience before. You ever listen to music and it's just like you just were transported to another place? Yes? No? You've never heard music before? Okay, you gotta do more than just this, because like, I can't see your faces, so it's just like... Thank you. Um, have you ever just like seen a baby and you're just like, oh my god, it's a baby, and you're just like, mushy? You know, you ever you ever watch the sunset at Laguna Beach or somewhere, or watch like the sunrise over the mountains, and we're just like, oh. you know, maybe when you saw some of your friends get married, you're like, oh. yeah, that's it. Or maybe like you know, you go to a festival and you're just like watching a bunch of strangers drink beer and sing old hymns, and you're just. 
Or maybe you ate something and it was so yummy and you were just undone. Or maybe you had an incredible orgasm that you still think about to this day. <laughs> just me? Okay. There's, a couple, there's a couple of us in here that's like, yes, I know what you're saying. <laughs> you can come to our sex education workshop. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll teach you about how to have a better orgasm. <laughs> Um, coming in summer 2022, right? Yeah. Um, universal experience that I'm thinking of is all of those moments combined. Think about earlier tonight when we were meditating and you felt just a modicum more of peace in your body. Universal experience. Or maybe back in the day when you were in a worship service and you felt something and it was affirming and it was good for you. Universal experience. I think we all have this access, this moment where we know that God is real, that God is love, that God is here now, and we just keep forgetting. And how do we not forget? Practice. A belief is just a thought that you just have over and over again. I'm gonna say that again. A belief is just a thought that you have over and over and over again. And too much of the time, the thought is, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. I'm separate. I am not good. I am broken. There's something wrong with me. Let me tell you what, the greatest thing my last partner ever gave me was this sentence. He said to me on the phone when I felt like a freak and I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. And he just said, Kevin, there's nothing wrong with you. And so I want to look at you tonight and tell you there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. So you got mental health issues. So your family's a little fucked up. Nothing wrong with you. You are loved. And if you don't believe that right now, it's okay, I believe it for you. And I will hold that space until you have it for yourself. But what we do, in the meantime, is we create the space in here. And so what I want to do, once again, is I want to lead us to a delightful meditation that I do all of my clients through. Um, in, my, in my everyday when I'm not lollygagging around the country and um, uh, being a fool, uh, I teach people how to meditate and I teach people how to create spiritual practices that help them feel better. Because when you feel better, you are able to access all the thoughts that you actually want to access. You're able to do the things you actually want to do. And if I feel better, I can actually show up to the, you know, to the protest. I can actually show up for my thing. I can actually show up for the people in my life who are not exhausted all the time. I make feeling good a priority. That sounds very, very strange at first, but let me tell you about my pleasure is the most important thing in my life. So, I would like to lead you through this. And again, I want to say, just like before, um, if at any point you want to tap out, not close your eyes, if you don't want to participate in this at all, don't. However, I think it could be interesting, you know? Might be something, might be a gift for you. So, what I'm going to do also, a uh, little thing about me is I got a little training in hypnotherapy. And so, what I love using certain techniques for hypnotherapy is it actually helps deepen the experience within a meditation so that you might accept the suggestions that we're giving. Because again, uh, they're just built, like a suggestion, it's just a thought. And if we're suggesting lovely things like, mm, I am loving awareness, I am the heir to the universe, God's love is present with me at all times. What if those were the thoughts running around my head all the time? What if that was the, the chronic new belief I had that was just playing over and over in my head? How different would my life be? It's not something I want to try to introduce you to tonight, if you'd like. So, assume whatever position feels good, you know, 
stretch a little bit. Um, you know, I know we've been sitting there, we're coming to the end of the night, right? Feeling a little tired, maybe. That's okay. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Breathe it out. Breathe it all out. Shake it out. You made it through the end of this night. Nothing else left to do. No more new ideas introduced. Nothing to think about. You can just come now to here. Come back to the breath, come back to your body. In the center of our mind's eye, I want us to see just a small mustard seed of light. And as we give our attention to that mustard seed of light in the center of our circle, it continues to grow. With every breath, with every inhale, and with every exhale, we see that in our mind's eye that this light continues to expand ever outward, ever further, till it's covering this entire circle, covering every person in this room in its beautiful, healing light. And as this light moves past each person, moves past you, moves through your body, feel it as it takes each attention with it. How it removes all thoughts of separateness. And even if they tend to come up, you can see them. And you can treat them with compassion, saying, hey, I love you, I see you. I'll be with you in a moment, but let me comfort you. And so as this light moves beyond us through our body, we now see that this light reveals that we are in a garden. And at the center of this garden, there is a temple. And this temple flows with a river directly to your feet. And I want you to just take a moment to see this temple, see the surrounding garden. See your hands, see your feet. See it as clearly as you see your day eyes. Take in the temperature. Take in the sounds you might hear. And as you see this temple in the distance in your mind's eye, I want you to know that this is the temple of your soul. That this is a space that has always been within you that holds perfect peace, undisturbed by this world. And as we take this, this journey together, as we take 10 steps closer and closer to this temple, I'll be counting backwards from 10 and I might snap my fingers and say things like, go deeper and let go more. And your brain and your mind will just continue to relax further. Your body will continue to loosen every muscle group, putting you into a sense of deep peace, deep presence, and deep love for this experience. And as you breathe in, and as we take step 10 together, our body continues to let go. Our minds turn loose, and every single sort of clinging feeling just passes by with our breath. As you take step nine, you feel yourself letting go further as you see and feel and hear every step. As you take step eight, you feel the different kinds of textures under your feet. You hear the sound of the river in your ear and it feels so good. As you take step seven and step six, your body is continuing to move from judgment to non-judgment, 
from consciousness to subconscious, where we can make all things seen. As you take step five and four, the temple becomes bigger and more beautiful, and upon this temple you see your own name. You see the names that your family called you, the people you love, what they call you. As you take step four, you're stepping into this temple. As you take step three, you're moving past the precipice into the center. As you take step two, you see the beauty of this space. You take it in and know that it is your own. As you take step one, you are at the very center of the space that you breathe in. Take about a moment, check in with the body. What are you feeling? What's coming up for you? What are you seeing? How does it feel in the body? And if you're feeling a little bit apprehensive, that is okay. But hopefully you are feeling a sense of love, presence, and awareness that you have always been so now I want you in your mind's eye to invite love in whatever form love would take. Of course, a miracle says that a miracle appears to us in the form that we need it. And so for you, it might be your higher self, a really blissed out version of you. It might be an animal. It might be a loved one or an ancestor who's passed on. It might be a few people. But right now, just allow love to come into the space. See it clearly as you see yourself. It might even look like Jesus if he's your guide. It might look like Buddha. It might look like Mary Magdalene. It might look like an angel. But take a moment as you breathe in and see what form love has come to you in. And take a moment now to step into love's see through love's eyes and see you. What does love come to tell you? What do you need to hear right now that would change your life, that would move you from a fear-based belief into a perception of love? Take a moment just to listen. trouble imagining what love might be saying to you, you can borrow my words right now and hear this. I know it feels so heavy and I love you and I'm here and I know it feels like I have not been there before but I have been here the whole I'm waiting for you to come and sit with me. You are so strong. You are so lovely. You're so beautiful and kind. You're not broken. In fact, you are so perfectly formed on purpose and with purpose. You're so holy not because of something that you keep from you, but because of everything you are. And not that we need you. 
So don't try to, to try to push me away or push me out. I couldn't go anywhere if I tried. Let this be the place you come whenever you are upset, whenever you are fearful, whenever you are afraid. Remember that this is where you can come back to presence, back to peace, back to love, and you can move from this space here. You can truly move the mountain. Maybe you don't even need to move the mountain, you just need to move your own life in a certain direction. You're so capable. You're so strong and powerful. I'm so proud of you for showing up every single day and trying even when it feels like it's not enough. I'm proud of you for at least trying, which even back then before they didn't see it as enough. It always has been enough. You have always been enough. In fact, it's not that you're not just enough, but you are grand. You will not be satisfied with your smallness any longer. You will only be satisfied in the fullness of who you were meant to be. Stop hiding. You were meant to shine. You think that if people saw who you were, they would run and hide. But if people saw who you were, they would be healed by your presence. You are love itself. Just a few moments. Listen for any more affirmations or words that may come from love to you. Holy one, and I mean the person who's hearing me in this room, you. Holy one, you've taken a journey tonight deep within yourself to a place that has always been there and is endlessly able to be explored. You have a divine connection. You have this beautiful space in you at all times. Do not forget and be, uh, be sure to come here often. For the more time you spend in this beautiful space, the easier it is to believe in beautiful things. The Bible says whatever is good, whatever is holy, whatever is lovely and pure, think about such things. Not because it says don't think about sex or don't think about these other things. It's because we think we're shit most of the time. Because maybe the writers of the Bible knew that we were, you know, bent on destroying ourselves, that we need a better thought. So tonight, May today, tonight, this moment be the first of many new Quranic beliefs that you hold about yourself. May it be the undoing of old patterns. May it be so fast that you might even call it a miracle. Because a miracle is just a, a move from fear to love. 
a slight change in perception, then you, my friend, are truly miraculous. spiritual snapshot of where you are right now. Because if you can remember how this feels, you can always come back. We take a moment to thank our bodies for holding us and helping us create this experience. We thank our minds for being beautiful, creative, co-conspirators. We thank love in all of its many forms and in our many understandings. And we also take a moment to acknowledge that if there was anything unhelpful, anything that did not feel aligned with our inner self, our highest self, we lovingly dismiss it and we let it go. And anything that is truly helpful and good and revelatory and healing, we seal within ourselves and take with us. Take a deep breath with me. And as you enter the space again, slowly, lovingly, gently, just take one more look around this temple. And maybe as you do, there's a small bit of a smile that comes up, a little bit of turn of the corners of your cheeks. So know that this is what you did. You did this. You created this piece. You created this space within yourself with a few breaths and a few ideas. You are incredibly powerful. You are the source of your own healing. And you will be whole. As you begin moving back into your body, maybe you wiggle your toes a little bit, squeeze the eyes, roll the shoulders. And as you are able, you can gently blink open your eyes and return to the space. Woo-wee! Huh? So, how was that? How was it? Good. So what, tell me what happened. Tell me what happened for you. What, what kind of words describe your experience? I know that we're just like, I'm still processing it, but if you have some words to describe, what would you, call, what would you say happened for you? Nothing. <laughs> okay, let me ask you this. How did you feel? Good. Good. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Centered. Centered. Peaceful. One more time. Peaceful. Peaceful. Worthy. One more time. Worthy. Worthy. Anybody have a weird experience? Anyone have a negative experience? Hello, yes. And that is okay. What felt uncomfortable about it? If you don't, you don't have to share if you don't want to, but I'd love to know. Trust that was coming from this image. 
Sorry, I forgot there's like a little bit of like housekeeping things. If you want to, um, that's fine. Um, so we got a catching thing, sports. Um, Matthias and I are gonna be out by the tables. We've got some books on sale, I've got some merch on sale. If you want to say hello, please say hello. I'd love to, um, I'll put my mask on in a second. Um, if you want to connect more with me and the work that I'm doing, all my stuff is at thekevingarcia.com. If that kind of meditation stuff is good for you, let's connect more. Um, or if you're looking for a good psychologist, I know a bunch of them uh, here tonight. Um, so anything you need, please let us know. Um, tell your friends about this experience if it was good for you. If it was not good for you, please tell me the story of the people. Um, <laughs>